0: Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. Okay, you guys can stand. I'm going to read the passage for the day. Um, We are continuing in Romans chapter 6, and I'm going through verses 15 through 19. What then are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? Because of your natural limitations, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. This is the word of the Lord. All right, you guys can have a seat. Okay, so Paul... Um, if you're if you missed a few weeks or you're new, just to reset where we are in the letter of Romans, he's talking to people at this point who have accepted the things that he be, has been saying about the life, death, resurrection, and teachings of Jesus, which is what we would call the gospel, um, and really that we're that's that we're made for um, we're made for. You know, perfection. It, we're made for, and we understand that, and we aspire to that. you know, that our self-help sections in on Amazon or in the library or the bookstore tell us that, um, as does like the Hallmark Channel and every other show we watch, because they're all like they lived happily ever after. We understand that that we're not in that, but we're moving towards that, and we're made for perfection. The Bible says that's only found in right relationship with God, but sin alienates us from God, and Jesus is the one by his life, death and resurrection that his is the only one that can fix our sin problem and make us right with God. And then he promises to begin the process of making us into who we're supposed to be. And so making us right with God is justification, making us who we're supposed to be is sanctification. And that's what Paul's been talking about. And in this next section he's talking about what does that look like? How does that work itself out in our lives and maybe working through some stuff that might not seem so obvious. So I said this last week, I found a commentator that said this, that chapters 1 through 5 of Romans explain what God has accomplished for us in the gospel. And chapters 6 through 8, this next little section, it starts to explain what God will accomplish or is accomplishing in us right now through the gospel. And so he's talking about how change happens um, in our day-to-day lives. And last week's question was, what then, uh, what shall we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound— And that came out of the previous passage, and he basically ends up saying you can't continue in sin, like just continue and continue and continue if you have died with Christ and been raised to new life in Christ. So there's a black and white reality beneath the surface that he was very clear about that works its way out in the gray of our lives. And then the next question in this chapter is similar but different. It's what then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but we are under grace. Should we keep sinning because we're not under law anymore? We're under grace. And um, that similarly comes out of the last verse of the previous section. So that's, that's verse 15. Verse 14 is this. Um, For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Um, so you're not under law and under grace. So it kind of makes sense that someone would ask, can we sin because we're not under law, but we're under grace, so uh, like our sin is kind of taken care of? Like, that's a pretty tempting question, right? You get the question? Um, I think you'd have to ignore the first part of that verse in order to ask the question, like sin will have no dominion over you, um, but I think your eyes could get pretty big looking at the second part of that verse where you know, because it just seems like if Jesus has forgiven all my sins, like my past sins and my present sins and my future sins, then like I could just keep sinning. Like I can understand where the question comes from. And the, in this, the language of verse fifteen: you are no longer under law, but you are. If you're in Christ, you are under grace, and sin will have no dominion over you because you've been transferred from one reign or kingdom to another one. Is a, is a really dramatic shift that, again, is kind of a black and white thing that works out in the gray of our lives. Um, so I'm going to just spend a minute talking about that under law to under grace. So we're born under law. Uh, we're born for law. In the Garden of Eden, God gave them a law. Don't eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And maybe the bigger law was trust me, have faith in me, believe me, and follow me. And they didn't do it, and so they failed at law. But law wasn't bad. Um, it's sin that made law bad. And that's a message for a couple weeks from now. But we kind of understand this. Like you give your kids, if you have kids, you give them law because they need law and it's good for them. Um, you know, maybe the, maybe the second most important lesson, the first most important lesson you teach your kids is, is that you love them unconditionally and you'll always love them no matter what. The second one, though, is actions have consequences and you're continually teaching your kids from the youngest of ages that action has consequences, and they're continuing to not get that and just do the actions anyway, and so you give your kids consequences, right? Or even if you don't give your kids consequences, there will be consequences to you not giving your kids consequences. Like, we need to learn that lesson. And I realized um, years ago that my kids are going to, there's certain lessons everyone's going to learn in life Um, And they're going to learn them the hard way or the easy way. And so as a parent, you can teach them those lessons, and they'll learn the lesson from the person that loves them more than anybody else in the world. If you don't teach them the lesson, then they're going to learn it from the cold, hard reality of life, you know? And so it's better that you teach them that lesson, and they have to choose to learn that lesson. But that's all, like, we give them law. Grades are a form of law. Um, There was a middle school in town, Carroll Middle School, that I think did the doing away with grades thing, but now they're coming back with them because that doesn't work, you know? Um, our kids were sports kids. Your kids may be, you know, art, artistic music kids or science kids or whatever it is. Our kids just happen to gravitate towards sports. And and I realized pretty early that that, this, like, that teaches um, lessons that kids need to learn. And so one of my lines for my kids was, this is probably not the thing you're going to be, like, you're made to do, soccer or basketball or, or um, whatever it is. But in this process, you're going to learn that whatever the thing is that you're, you're made to do, hard work is something you need to learn because actions have consequences. And teamwork is another one. And so they would learn that. So law, is, law is, um, is good. The problem is that we can't do it. And ultimately, God says, you failed at law. You could just say that together. I failed at law. Yeah, we've all failed at law. And it's like the law of life and being the person we're supposed to be, and no matter how many consequences God layers on, that's the message of the Old Testament with Israel, they failed at law. And so God takes us by his mercy from being under law to being under grace, and it like transfers things. Um, And that is just like, you got to get that. I remember years ago listening to, um, or yeah, I think I was listening to Bono, the U2 guy and trying to figure out spiritually where he really was, because he makes some things about Christianity, but, and I listened to an interview of him with a, as a secular, non-Christian guy interviewing him, and they started talking about karma, and, and Bono was like, oh yeah, if it's, if it's down to karma, and karma is what comes around, goes around, like that's its own form of law, and he said, if it comes down to karma, I'm in big trouble, (laughs) and that's kind of like the, I don't know what the heart of a bad man is like. I know what the heart of a good man's like, and it's terrible. That's kind of what he was saying. Like, I'm a mess. No matter how people might, it's really something for him to say. And so he said, If it's down to karma, I'm in big trouble. I'm banking on grace. And I thought, I think this guy gets um, the gospel. And he's, if you listen to him talk about his experiences with Jesus, like, I totally believe he gets it. And he had, there's a concert video of him singing 40, which is Psalm 40. And he just is doing the Bono thing where he's just kind of got, but with 100,000 people there, he's got his eyes closed, and he's singing out Psalm 116, what shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits to me over and over and over again? I'm like, I think that's a guy that gets that he's gone from being under law and he is now under grace, and how could I ever repay God for the grace that he's shown me? Like, there's a point at which you realize that. Um, There is a woman... Uh, years ago, we had this conversation, and she was she's from St. Louis. She's a Midwest Catholic, and I'm from the Midwest. And so, there's a few Midwest Catholics in here, and um, Midwest Catholics are just a variety of things. But there's a lot of law in being involved with being a Midwest Catholic, and I think there's a little grace in there, but you got to earn it. So that's just it, like just kind of what it is. And so it's hard, it's hard to understand like what it is from going to being under law to under grace. And I remember talking with her. And going through this, this, these verses in Ephesians, for by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. That's not law. It is the gift of God, grace, not a result of works, not law, so that no one may boast. Grace. You don't boast about grace because it's a gift that someone's given you. And it's like a light bulb came on for her, and she's like, oh, this isn't about what I've done. It's about what Jesus did for me. And it changed everything, you know? And for her, it was like all that guilt and shame, like that wasn't the way that things were supposed to be. And this is something different, like going from under law to under grace. Um, There's a story about C.S. Lewis being in a comparative religions conference and he walks into a room and they're talking about what the difference is between Christianity and all the other, they're like, I don't know, what is it? And he's like, oh, that's easy, grace, and walks out of the room because it's just like that, that's it. Every other religion is law. I mean, we can debate it if you want to, but they're law. That's what it comes down to, and, and Christianity is grace, not what you've done for God, but what he's done for you, and that's hard, honestly, because grace is an admission of failure. I could not keep the law. I failed at the law, and I need grace, and that's hard. Um, just this morning, I was thinking about Napoleon Dynamite, the scene where Uncle Rico is selling that couple of Tupperware. Is anybody with me? And he's like, you look like a strong young pup. He's like, see if you can rip this Tupperware in half. It was such a ridiculous movie, and the guy's like... <sighs> I can't. I can't. And his wife looks at him like, you disgust me. And that's how law is. Like when we can't do it, we disgust ourselves because we can't do it. But we're under grace and it's hard. Grace is hard. But there's a freedom in that, you know. And that's kind of where this verse is getting to. Like, can I take advantage of the freedom? And you could because it's grace. Because our sins have been covered. Some people don't want to be under grace. They want to be under law because it's like, it's easier not to admit that you failed. You know what the fastest-growing religion, percentage-wise, in the world is right now? It's Mormonism. It's Mormonism. And Mormonism is law. Like, uh, there's a couple here that came for a long time. Emerald, and Emerald's mom, Hayes' mom, passed away. She was Mormon. I went to her funeral. And they started talking about, there's like, about heaven, which sounds like grace, but it's only the second heaven, and there's a first heaven and a third heaven that are 100% law. And I was like, oh, like that's real tricky, and we could talk about that if you want to talk about it. But, but it's law, and it's growing. Islam is growing. Islam is growing particularly fast in the inner cities of America because because men want law; they want to be told what to do. Jordan Peterson is getting super has gotten super popular over the last few years. And I think Jordan Peterson, it's possible he's a Christian because it's fascinating to listen to him talk about it. But he wrote a book called 12 Rules for Life and people flocked, young men flocked to listen to him talk about it because we want law. We want someone to tell us what to do and to be able to do it and sense that we did it. And this, but we cannot ultimately do it and so we're under grace. And there's an ambiguity involved with being under grace that is hard. And so this is, I think, where this question goes to. If it's all about what Jesus did for me and not about what I did or couldn't do for him, then what do I do now? And does it even matter what I do now if it's all about what he did? And I think that's where Paul is moving in this section of the, uh, of the letter. And so I get the what's the harm in a little sin argument, you know, because it's like if you go to a buffet, what do you do when you go to a buffet? Do you eat everything in sight? They got to roll me out of a buffet because I paid for it, and so I might as well get my money's worth. And that's kind of the question. Like, if Jesus paid for it, should we get our money's worth? It's a dumb question, but like, but we can we we can get it. And it's not just a question a teenager would ask. I said last week. It's a question that a fifty-two-year-old father, husband, uh, and pastor might ask. Um, And I don't think in a in a woohoo free sin pass, do whatever I want kind of way. Because if that's the question, like, you clearly don't get what the gospel is about, you know. But more in a, like, um, I think we can, we can get into grace, but then kind of lean back into law and think, well, I've done, I've done all these good things. And, and a lot of you here every week, you've done good things. I've done all these good things. So if I do this little bad thing, like, we're under grace, so it's kind of paid for. And there's a whole thing about how people think like that. You remember Elliot Spitzer? Is the Attorney General of New York that was busting prostitution rings and using prostitutes. Um, there's an equation that we do that I think he's, um, I think is part of what he's getting at. Or it can be, a, I've tried and tried and tried so hard, I've struggled with this sin so much, and I know God is going to deliver me from it, but I don't think, it doesn't seem like he's doing it, so I'm just going to quit. I think that's where the, like, the rubber hits the road with this question and i I said something early in this series um that i visited the women's bible study gave me a a pass a hall pass for thursday to come to their bible study and um and i asked them if this and they're like oh yeah that that made sense when he said it we start with law we're made for law we hear the gospel we understand grace that kind of makes sense but we still think it's plus law and so we think he did his part i have to do my part um then we, we, we realize, well, that doesn't make sense. If he did his part, then my part, that doesn't, those things don't work together. But then we think, okay, he did his part. He rescued me from all my sins, but now I better stop sinning. So it's grace, then law. And then we realize we can't really do that. And then we move to like grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And there's like a, um, an exposure, a vulnerability, a nakedness in that that is hard because there's a lack of control but a freedom in it because grace is the thing that ultimately is the thing that's going to change you. So moving from under law to under grace is a big deal. Um, I think if that's all I said today, that would be a decent sermon, but, but I haven't even gotten to the passage. So I'm going to move through it pretty quick. Um, uh, but that's the, you know, the background of all of, of what he's saying here. So what then are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, your slaves are the one to whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or obedience which leads to righteousness. And so he's saying, we, it is an, it's not, we don't have a choice. We are slaves to something. We are either slaves to sin or slaves to God. We present ourselves to sin and become its slaves, or we present ourselves to obedience and righteousness, and we're, we're becoming slaves to the Lord. And so sin is a form of slavery, and so is obedience. I think this is a little bit hard to grasp because, because um, in part we live in such an individualistic society that it's hard for anybody to tell us that we're slaves to anybody because, you know, I'm the captain of my fate, and I make decisions, and I did, am in control and whatever, and he's saying, no, you're not. Um, and Jesus Jesus said the same thing. So there's a, a point where Jesus is talking to some um, to some Jewish people, and he said to the Jews who had believed in him, and says, If you abide in my word, you're really my disciples, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Which um that verse is one of the most meaningful verses in my spiritual journey. It's such a good it's its sermon. Like if, if you're really my disciples, you're gonna trust me and do what I tell you to, and then you're gonna know the truth. It's not you're gonna figure it all out and then obey, it's you're gonna obey, and then God's gonna show you how it all works. And the truth is going to set you free. Um, but their response to it is, we're offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. To which I would say there was that 400 years in Egypt. And, you know, there's a lot of Romans around in where Jerusalem, where they were, you know. Like, seems like they might, you might, you know, maybe. Uh, but, so they say, how is it that you say we'll become free? And Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin, this like last week, continuing sin, practices sin. It's their habit. They keep on doing it. Is a slave to sin. Um, the this, this slave does not remain in the house forever. The sun remains forever. So if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. Here's your real problem. It's not Egypt. It's not Rome. It's your sin, and you are a slave to it, and you need the son to set you free. And so he would agree with what Paul's saying that sin is um, slavery. And if you have not, let's say this: if you have not received what Christ has done for you and confessed him as Lord, you are a slave to your sin and you cannot help but sin. And that the Bible is very clear about that. Um, I think we get this with some sins more than we do with others. So if you've ever had a chemical addiction or if you had someone in your life that's had a chemical addiction, a drug or alcohol addiction, that feels like slavery because you just cannot stop doing it. Um, There are other things that are close You know, maybe not quite to the same level. So pornography or sexual addiction is one of those things that never it never delivers on the promise that it makes. And so you have to keep amping it up. That's like the definition of addiction is the law of diminishing returns. And so the return on what you're doing diminishes. So you have to keep, like, increasing to get the same effect. And pornography and sexual addiction is one of those things. I've been wondering recently about gambling because you cannot watch a game without hearing or listen to sports radio without hearing about DraftKings or whatever. What's the other one? DraftKings and FanDuel. Um, Yeah, you can't not hear about it. And so I saw this little article a few weeks ago where gambling is now a $93 billion industry. I think that's just in the United States, $93 billion. It's on pace this year to be $120 billion. Um, Pornography worldwide is a $90 billion industry. The NFL brings in $20 billion a year. $120 billion. I guarantee you lives are being ruined by that. Because for some people it's just fine and it's some form of recreation and entertainment. For other people they cannot they cannot help it. It will never be a huge problem for me because I'm too cheap to put my money out there like that. You know I got other stuff. Everyone's addicted to something but that's not going to be mine. And I and it's one of those things that like like pot I don't think I don't think legalizing pot is a great idea. Maybe for some people are fine with it. I don't think it's a good idea anyways, but it is ruining some people, you know? And so we think it's fine. We're free. We're not slaves to it, but, but we are. So there's some visible things like that. Um, there are some things that enslave us, but the consequences aren't as visibly destructive. And I say this a lot. We're all addicted to something. It's just that some of our addictions are more visibly destructive than others are. And so it, like, it could be stuff, you know? Um, I haven't talked about self-storage units in a long time, but we are vomiting stuff in our country. And we put it in those self-storage units. We keep our vomit in the self-storage units. You may have a self-storage unit. I'm sorry. You may have a really good reason for having it. It's fine. But you may be addicted to your stuff. We're going to go to Nicaragua with some students in a few weeks. I guarantee you we're going to sit down one night, and the kids are going to be like, wait a second. These kids that we hung out with today don't have anywhere near the stuff that we have, but they are way happier than we are. Like, we have been sold a bill of goods here, that stuff is the thing that's going to make you happy. Guarantee it. Um, so, stuff can be one. It could be security. So, it could be your paycheck or your bank account or your IRA. Like, it's got to be at a certain level, and that's going to be the thing that's going to give you security. And so, you're addicted to that, and you can't make decisions outside of that because you're addicted to that security. It could be work. Um, and that sense of productivity or whatever it is that your security that you get from work, and so you could be addicted to that. It could be your image and crafting that and constantly thinking about what people think about you and social media um, or, you know, stuff like eating disorders that result from being uber concerned about that. And it could be even like just subtler stuff inside, envy or pride or judgment or anxiety or gossip or whatever. We're all slaves to something. And coming, the end of last week was about how, we're wired to get our sense of who we are from outside of ourselves, and it's God. God's supposed to tell us, you are very good, and I love you, and that is the thing that's got to be at your core and fulfill you, and that we lost that in the garden, so we're trying to find something to tell us that, and all these things that we're addicted to, we're trying in some way to get us to tell us that, and because we need it so bad, we become slaves to the thing that we think is going to give us that, and we may not even realize that that's, that's what it is, um, and that can be Uh, I mean, that can be really hard to admit, you know. And a minute ago I said, if you don't, if you are without Christ, if you have not confessed Christ as Lord, then you are under law and you are a slave to your sin, and that's hard. Um, John Calvin said, the greater mass of vices anyone is buried under, the more fiercely and bombastically does he extol his freedom. And I think he was right about that. Um, And you may not feel like a slave if you like your captor, and they treat you well. But at some point, uh, you'll realize that your idols don't love you. They destroy you. And Jesus is trying to get us um, to not be at that point. So we're slaves to something. Here's the second point. The decision to sin is about more than one act, but a pattern of action. So in this verse, he says, if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you're slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Um, Again, a few verses later, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Uh, so those decisions are not are not so much individual decisions, but they're the creation or continuation of patterns of behavior. And so I thought, like, we're not, this is how we feel. We're standing in one place making one decision that affects us right now. But he's saying you're making a decision to move in a direction leading to a destination of, of life or death. And I think in a way we know this is true because, like, we know with our decisions we're gaining ground or losing ground <coughs> in a direction with every decision that we make. So you, you take a step, you're moving towards one thing and away from something else. And you're gaining inertia and moving in that direction um, and have closed some distance towards that thing, but but created some distance towards another thing. Um, but it can be hard. I don't know what that is necessarily for you. Um, I Last summer, when I was on sabbatical, I read a book called Deep Work. Has anybody heard about that book? This is a really good book, Deep Work. Um, I actually had read it before sabbatical, but I read it so fast, and I wasn't working deeply, so I don't remember anything that it said. So I read it again on sabbatical, and his point is basically that we have lost the capacity to do deep work because we live in, in what he or another author called the shallows. like We're constantly like, flitting from one thing to another, and so we don't have the ability to work um, really deeply. And the thing that I think I took the most out of it was um, that when you're scrolling, you are, your muscles of concentration are, are atrophying. So, like, if metaphorically, if you had muscles that concentrated, they're atrophying. You know what I mean? Because you're moving from one thing to another. Um, but when you when you slow down and um, you know you, you you resist and you sit still and you read something or for a period of time or pray or take a walk in the woods, which often just feels like a waste of time, then you're training your muscles of concentration, and you're going in one direction or another. And that's a real thing, like. The last couple of weeks, I've been trying to get my screen time on my phone down because I just realized it was too hard It's because I was scrolling and, and for what I do, those muscles of concentration are pretty important stuff. But it's an example of you're moving in one direction or in the other. So you think you've lost 20 minutes on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or um, YouTube. If it's YouTube, you've probably lost two hours, uh, but in reality. You, you're, you've taken steps in a direction that are taking you away from another direction. Um, I had a boss that, uh, he, well, a pastor that preached, preached this, sow a thought, reap an act, sow an act, reap a habit, sow a habit, reap a character, sow a character, reap a destiny. And there's an element of that in this, um, that you are not just making a decision, but you're presenting to your members to some type of slavery. Um, I thought about uh, health and and, like, Diet and exercise and stuff, which is, it's always been important to me. Uh, I had heart surgery 16 years ago. I'm going to have to have it again. Um, that's kind of like a, like a mental cheat thing to keep myself, like, to keep myself going in the right direction. But I started, a couple years ago, I realized, because if, if you, whenever, however, like, you focus on that stuff to some extent, you know, but you're always making bad decisions. All of us are always making bad decisions with that. But I realized, your body is always ready to make the right decision. So your body's always, like God just wired it so that you're always burning stuff. And it's always, it's a matter of you cooperating with it um, because it's always ready to move in the right direction. I wondered, I wonder if there's a little bit like, like before Christ, we were in a stream that was going one direction and we could only go in that direction. And in Christ, the stream has changed so that you're going a different direction. And, but there are times when we try and go upstream, but it's always ready to turn around and obey, and move in the right direction. I don't know if that makes sense. If it does, keep it. If it doesn't, don't worry about it, because it might be wrong. Um, but I feel like that's a bit of this. Like, we've been given the opportunity, and we, and there's a little bit of something in this passage that I'm not quite clear on, the black and white versus the gray of, he's telling us to present ourselves to righteousness, knowing we make decisions to present ourselves as slaves to unrighteousness, but we're not, because we're free in Christ and I'm not, I'm not sure exactly how that ties together. Um, but, all right, last, third point out of four. You make a decision to present yourself to sin or righteousness every day. And, and, and maybe several times a day. So what then are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you're slaves to the one to whom you obey, if you present yourselves. And again, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, for just as you once presented yourself, your members as slaves, and so now present tense present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification so um, there's a moment of choice, but the moment of choice isn't about what's happening right now, it's about presenting ourselves to something that we're giving we're giving mastery over us, and in that I think the subtle thing about in that moment of temptation, um, I think this is subtle. This is gray. Sometimes you go down with a fight, and other times you quit. And And I think he's saying that tension is always going to be there, and he wants you to continue to fight and know the, the broader consequences of your decisions. And he's going to move into in the next few chapters about the presence of the Holy Spirit, so that we do not fight this alone. Um but that there's going to be a tension that we can't give up on, that we have to engage. Um, Part of what, one thing that I think was helpful for me in thinking about this is uh, slavery in in the Roman Empire was different than slavery in the South in America. So it wasn't about race. Um, Slaves didn't look different than anybody else. You could walk around, a third of the population of Rome were slaves, but you wouldn't know who was who. Um, There could be accountants and doctors who were technically slaves. Um, but people could choose slavery. Like you could present yourself to someone and to be a slave like an indentured servant until you, until you worked off whatever your debt was um, and, then, and then you could be free from it. So as someone wrote, slavery in ancient Rome could be considered more of a circumstantial misfortune than an individual's lifelong purpose. While some races were considered more destined to slavery, it was often brought about by economic mismanagement or military defeat. Um, serious misfortune could see practically anyone in the Roman world succumb to enslavement. So it was a decision that they made. And I, th- I think what he said, I mean, maybe in the, in the bigger situation of this, where I, where I said, like, we're made to know that we're loved and we're good and we're missing that in the core of who we are. We are presenting ourselves as slaves to something to tell us the truth about that. And he is urging you to present yourself to righteousness, and to the Lord. Because when you present yourself to something else, it's never like a one-night stand. It's It turns into a bad relationship with a psychotic boyfriend or girlfriend when we present ourselves to our idols. And so he's saying, don't do that. Um, so I think in all that, the question is like, what what are you presenting yourself to? And man, I bet there's there's hundreds of things running through our heads in little ways. And And big about and maybe you're convicted about something that you're presenting yourself to consistently or you've given up on and you know like this will be my last point in a minute you're not under you're not under law you're under grace there's grace for that but but it needs to be different in in terms of presenting yourself to righteousness like this is a good start Uh, when we come on a Sunday morning we are presenting ourselves to righteousness we are fellowshipping together and with the with the family of God we're worshiping the Lord we're sitting under the teaching of our word that's presenting your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification um you know i i don't we we were um and we'll we'll go back at it. we kind of rested on it but we for for several years they were really big at like pushing u version you, you the Bible app and just getting in a reading plan and then we picked a two year reading plan so so some of us are still on that two-year reading plan, but that habit of just starting your day listening to the Lord, um, man, God can do crazy stuff with that. Um, a long story short. We, we ended up in Charlotte buying a car last weekend. The sales manager who we talked to for a couple hours, at the very end of the conversation says he's got stage four liver disease. I'm like, stage four liver disease? What's that mean? He's like, well, there's no stage five. And the guy was an alcoholic. He went to the hospital with a 4.8 blood alcohol level. I was like, how did you, how did you do that? He's like, I was really good at drinking. And um, But and now he's like, doesn't have a lot of time to live. Well, that's what they told him. His liver is shutting down. That morning, I'd read the story where Isaiah says to Hezekiah, hey, wrap it up because God's taken you out, and Hezekiah weeps bitterly and prays the Lord before Isaiah gets out of the building. God's like, okay, go back and tell him that I've given him 15 more years. I don't know what that means, you know what I mean? But I know I read it that morning, and I met a guy that afternoon that I don't want to like, give him false hope, but I just trust that God did something with that. When just presenting your members to righteousness, you never know what's going to happen. praying throughout your day, habits of giving yourself to the things that God is doing, it's been so hard to get people to come to Adopt-A-Block. I'm begging you. I'm officially, as your pastor, begging you to go to Adopt-A-Block some Saturday morning. It is two hours. It's in a, It's not intimidating. We sit there. We talk to people. We pray with people. We'll go door-to-door and give people food and um, and just encourage people. And Megan and Weston have developed some relationships. Sam and the Karatas, the people that have been really consistent, have developed some really good relationships. That is presenting yourself to as slaves to righteousness, to see what God is going to do in you and through you through it. And it may not be our Washington Terrace thing, but there's tons of apartment complexes where that's happening. The Dream Center has been able to start really a service for homeless people, a church for homeless people on Tuesday nights, and rehab centers where, like, guys' lives are just being changed by what God is doing through that organization. We're a little part. That's presenting yourselves to righteousness. Um, We're going to go on this mission strip to Nicaragua. My experience with mission strips is like, you go, and for a week or two weeks or whatever it is, you go where God wants you to go, you don't really know anything about it, you do what he asks you to do, you eat what he asks you to eat, you sleep where he asks you to sleep, you do all this with the people that he takes with you that you don't necessarily know or like even, you know what I mean, but you do all that stuff, and, um, and you may ask people to help you pay for it, which is not totally un-American, and, and then you come back, and you're like, that was the best week of my life! it's like well, that's because you became a sla- you you offered yourself as slaves to righteousness. You just trusted him and obeyed him and did whatever he told you to without any thought for yourself. And guess what? That was the best week of your life because your best week of your life could be this week if you lived this week out like that. You know, and that's what he's saying. Present yourself as slaves to righteousness. James um, says this. He says someone will say you have faith and I have works, which is kind of getting into the law and grace thing, like. All right, you're under grace, but I've, I'm under law. I've got stuff. And he says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. I'll show you my faith by my works. That grace will lead to this thing where you're um, where you're so grateful you present yourself as a slave to righteousness. And it's not a law of motivation. It's something completely different. But it'll, it'll bear fruit. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. And that sounds coercive, doesn't it? I'm sure that line has been used coercively, maybe in your life, but Jesus is saying, just matter of fact, man, if you love me, and he also said, he who is forgiven much, loves much. If you love me, you're going to trust me that I'm, not, I'm for you and not against you, and you are going to obey because I'm going to be your best option. <laughs> not because you have to, um, not because you feel coerced, but because you trust that I have your best in mind, and you're going to obey me. Uh, Chesterson said, "Obedience is but the other side of the creative will. Obedience looses the creative power of God in our lives. God will do great and wondrous things in and through the life of an obedient soul. Um, it's for everybody's good, and it's it's offering yourself uh, to God. Then that's not the end of it; it's the beginning of what God will do in and through you. And I thought about Paul. Um, I thought about Paul talking to Timothy." And the tension involved with this and like where we live. And him saying this, and this is one specific idol, right? For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. What sounds like people have presented themselves as slaves to money. Jesus said you, can, you can't have two masters. You serve God or you serve mammon. And, and, but then he says to Timothy, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight of faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. It's like don't give up, continue that struggle and and again in the next few chapters with the power of the Holy Spirit, present your members as slaves to righteousness. Instead. instead. So this is my last point. Um you're not under law, but under grace. And Kelly can come back up here. Um, and get ready for these last few songs. But you're not under law, but you're under grace. And I, and I end with that point because I realize a lot of what I'm saying can kind of sound like law. As you move through the law, grace plus law, grace then law, and grace upon grace upon grace, which I think we're all moving through, um, it can sound like law, but it's not. It's grace. And he's deepening our understanding of that. And so this verse in the middle of this passage, thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart, to the standard of teaching to which you were committing, and having been you have been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness and again i 'm not sure of the ambiguity of, of if I am a slave of righteousness, then how can I choose to present my members, but maybe I, maybe i 'm cheating at them i don 't know, but like that 's what we've become. we 've become have we 've been set free from sin and now have the freedom to be slaves of righteousness um, and I think about that verse that Bono was shouting in the middle of his concert, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? And there's something in that that like that's it. Like he has been so good to us and I, I, I want to be generous to him because of how generous he has been to me. I want to surrender my freedom because I love him and I trust him. And this isn't, you don't live this way because you have to, you live this way because you get to. Like this is how we were made to live. Um, and it doesn't lead to justification, which is making you right with God. Living this way leads to sanctification, making you more like God. And you're not always going to choose to present yourself to the right thing. And that doesn't change your status with God because all your sins have been paid for, past, present, and future. But it does change the pace of your sanctification. Um, and so I'm going to end with, um, we're going to take communion in a minute and remember what Christ has done for us. Um, with his life, death, and resurrection and on the cross in particular. And so if, if, you have res- if you have confessed Jesus as Lord and believed in what he's done, we invite you to come up here and to accept the, the body um, and the, the bread and the cup to remember what Christ has done for us. And I'm going to end with the line I ended f- from last week, which is the end of Romans 8, which is where I think Paul is driving in this whole section. I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Father, thank you for for Your Word. Thank you for um, meeting us where we live. I pray that Your Spirit would convict us and encourage us in the ways that You need to convict us and encourage us, Lord. And I pray that we would we would be free from law and just enamored with grace, Lord. That we wouldn't look back, um, that we wouldn't regret, but we would trust even and especially in the times when trust looks hard and follow you into obedience and know that we are presenting ourselves as slaves to righteousness, um, but, but even in that, like we're free because of what Christ has done for us and we are not slaves, we are, we are family. Um, in your family, Lord. And that is what we're made for and the best place we can be and we can trust you. And in the little decisions um, that we're being convicted of, Lord, um, that you would give us the grace to trust you and to follow you and, and that you would change us and use us to change everything that's going on around us, Lord. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.